Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, hey, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, and show notes are found at 805connect.com. Hey, why don't you subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows? Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Polstering Press, for this great studio. And to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Oh, good morning, Mark. Patrick, I would like you to meet Kevin Burke. Kevin is with Burke Wealth Management. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm I'm thrilled you're here and, and at a perfect time in that uh, we just recently had a professor, um, Harry uh, Stern, who uh, Stern, who from California Lutheran University, who trains certified financial planners, and the show has done really well. People have, have gotten great feedback from it, and we learned a lot about that. And as it turns out, there's a lot of financial planners here in the region, and you know, the professional services, and all of that. And I thought we would talk about. Have, have we've talked to a professor about what are the things that are important to learn. So now I want to talk to a practitioner and see, you know, let's kind of test some of that stuff. And I know you listened to that show. So I did. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that. But I want to ask you, what was it? How, how long, first of all, how long have you been in this business? Uh, I've been licensed since May of 1987. So almost exactly 30 years. May. Yeah, May, a, yeah, May 15th. May, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know when you get licensed. That's, a, that's an important component. So, okay, so 30 years. And, and w- what was it, what was that uh, conversation or a person or a book or the incident you said, this is what I want to do? Well, two things. One is I was raised in a wealthy neighborhood in Woodland Hills, oh. but my family was anything but wealthy. So my mother didn't understand investment stocks, bonds, none of that. And so it always fascinated me because all the people around me would talk about stocks and bonds and investments. And so I was always interested. And then I had a friend who in 1986 was working at E.F. Hutton and made a really good living and lived in a nice house and drove a nice car, none of which we had. And when he left E.F. Hutton, he asked me if I'd like to go to work for him as an independent. And uh, he said, if you... Now, how old were you? I was 23. So what made you... Well, yeah, you've got more letters behind your name. You have CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner. You have CDFA, which is a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. I didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have CHFC. What's that? Chartered Financial Consultant. It comes from the American College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. But let's yes. let's go back to this friend of yours who was E.F. Hutton and went out on his own and said, hey, Kev, you'd be a great, w- what made you think that you could be good at that? Um, well, he was very successful and part of it was his belief that I could. So his certainty. His certainty was a big part of it. And then combined with my fascination with finance, which I, again, I'd had since I was very young. Because you didn't have it. I didn't have it. We didn't, I didn't know what a mutual fund was when I started down this path. And 
what we learned from the professor was how much this was this field is about relationships. So I, I kind of liked that a lot. We talk about connections and relationships on the show a lot. Mm -hmm. So you obviously had studied human psychology. Like that's a big part of being a minister is is that the human condition and working with people. What was the biggest surprise? I'm thinking of that first year when you were just dumped into this new world. What was the biggest surprise for you? Well, I did pretty well right off the bat. Really? Yeah, and I was in an office with there were 13 of us, and I was the number. He went out, just left, and did, and 13 people came with him. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and I ended up being the number three producer of the 13 between him and then his brother At 23. and then myself. Uh huh. Wow. And it was all cold calling. Uh, we were oh. dealing with municipalities and so forth around the state. Um, so it was relationship, but it wasn't relationship as in I know, you know, I got my friends and family. It was relationship as in I cold called people and talked to them on the phone until they were willing to invest through us. Let, I want to stay with cold calling for a second. Um, <laughs> Everybody's favorite thing to do. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's, it is the worst. It is, it is hard, but it is a necessary thing you need to do in some professions. And I think mm -hmm. the person who's listening right now has probably got some kind of cold calling, you know, hell story. Uh -huh. But you, t obviously, if you're a third producer, what uh, I have to have your cold calling tricks. Yes. Yeah, so cold calling um, depends on how you approach it. So what I would do is I'd have a sheet in front of me every day with little, you know, just little lines. And every call I'd make, I'd, I'd, I'd do a little slash. And if they answered, I'd do a little X. And if it was a good call, I would circle it. Circle the X. And so at the end of the day, I knew over weeks and months and years with exact precision how many people would answer their phone, how many people I talked to, and how many of those would become sales. It was just all numbers. So if somebody said, I'm not interested, I'd say, thank you very much. I made $5 or whatever. I really had it down to that. So it was totally, it took all the emotion out of it for me. And it was just this mechanical thing I did that I knew worked. So... I haven't done cold calling in 20 years, but <laughs> it, at the time it were I wouldn't. It would be very difficult today because of all the rules around do not call lists and so forth. So I, I would not want to approach it today. But but it, we still get called out. all the time. Well, we get robocalls. Shouldn't be, but yes, we do. Right, amazing. And so, so you you did that for the first year. How long did you work with other people uh, before starting out on your own? Uh, so I have been on my own since January of 2003. So I'm so going on 14 years. And what was it that, because there's an entrepreneurialness yes. around that where yes. you was like, okay, I'm. I really like paying electric bills. And <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for recognizing that, though, yeah. because I am a small business owner. Right. I have well, to that, lease exactly. office space and pay bills yeah. and hire people and fire people and pay payroll and get insurance and, and in addition to being a financial planner. And that's the part that I think we forget about. The prof someone is in professional services. You hang the shingle out. There's all those things that you didn't go to school for. Yes. How true. did you learn all that? Just – OJT? So I had, um, I've always had my own little business. And when I was 13, I what? had my own little business. When okay, I was 16, now we're getting I got to it, my, Patrick. my first yeah. business license. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I've That's... always had, I, 
yeah. I've did you go down to the late. city hall? Is that where? I did. Yeah. My really? Mom, my mom likes to tell the story that before <sighs> I could drive, I rode my bicycle to Van Nuys. Yeah. I lived in the valley and got a, my first business license. I went to Van Nuys I'm not sure that's high. true, by the way, but she that tells people good. that story. I don't even know if you can <laughs> still do that. There's, there's, I, I did the same. I had a similar experience, but, mm-hmm. but uh, where you just buy a business license. But it turns out, I think that. I feel like now you can't sign stuff like that if you're if you're a minor. Uh, I feel like if you're under 18, you can't sign a contract. Yeah, well, I don't remember. I, don't know. I know yeah. she likes to say, tell the story that I did that. That's it may be story. that I was yeah. 18. Yeah, it was a good your story. Mom's, your mom is exactly right. I would never <laughs> doubt or question a fact inside of that story. No, exactly. Yeah. I told her I was going to do this this morning. She said, am, are you going to mention my name? <laughs> yeah. What's her name? <laughs> Vicki Ross. Oh, Hi, Vicki. Hi, Vicki. <laughs> Hi, Vicki. Yeah. Um, I am a rule breaker. So I and I had my first business when I was twelve. And is this where uh, you admit to something that hopefully as a statute of limitations has expired? I checked that before the show, (laughs) and uh, I didn't get a business license until and ever. Um, I did with Wayfront. We had to register with the state of California because we had to incorporate and have a name and all of that. Sure. But that was the first time, and I was thirty when that happened. Uh And I think it's interesting that you're in an extremely regulated business. Yes. And the first thing, so you're comfortable with regulation because you rode your bike to go get a license to do what you wanted to do. Uh, I I am a rule follower. Yes, (laughs) I am. What was, I want to know what the business was. Well, when I was six, well, I started clearing uh, hillsides in Woodland Hills Mm -hmm. for fire purposes that uh, homeowners had to clear the hillside. So I'd get out there literally with a scythe Mm -hmm. when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And that led into a gardening route. Mm -hmm. And then I got into cleaning swimming pools. And so I've always had some, you know, been self-employed somehow. I've always, we we were trying to convince my 16-year-old nephew one summer, uh, because we had, uh, my brother had a pressure washer. And I said, you could make all the money you want in the world with a pressure washer in Washington state, just walk up to somebody's house. Hey, do you, would you need your driveway pressure washed? And just, you could just, I just think that like you had it, you had a, uh, you know, the tools that you needed Yeah. and you're like, I, I can make a business out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not afraid of hard work. No, not at all. I right. pro- pro- probably if I, if left on my own, I'd work all the time. So I really have to, uh, regulate. Li- yeah. I have to regulate. Thank you. Yeah. When was it that you decided you needed to have the certifications and all of that? Was that something the industry forces on you to have that, or you just can't get the business without that? No. Um, as a matter of fact, I, at the time I was working for Smith Barney, and there were 35 or 40 brokers in, in our office, and I was literally the only one who was interested in getting the CFP and only the only one who got it, what? at least at the time. Yeah, it just it interests me to do you know, not just the investment core investment portion of it, but all the things that go around it. So understanding estate planning, understanding insurance, understanding college planning, understanding long-term care, understanding health insurance. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on that CFPs, uh, Certified Financial Planner Professionals, need to know. And it just interested me. Hmm. It's it just, I love to read. I love the minutia. I love the nuances. I love to know when it's changing. I just love, but, I'd like to know that. But isn't also, it's, it's reading something and then being able to re-articulate um, that back to your client. Yes. You know, it's not just, it's not just taking the fact in. Right. It's how can that, uh, f- that fact apply? Yeah. And so I love the concept and the, um, challenge of taking very complex subjects because mm, finance is mm. a big black box yeah, and simplifying it, it either verbally or through a book or whatever. I, that's, I find that to be very satisfying. 
And a, a professor talked about um, the financial planner as kind of the quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, in your business. So, and, mm-hmm. and he also talked about the, um, the your physical health and your financial health. Yes. And we're talking about financial health, and that that CFP ideally is the quarterback. So they're calling the plays with with everyone. And I know that's something you and I have talked about often. Mm-hmm. Give us an example of, you know. Like he talked about it in as metaphor, but give give us an, a real example. Well, f- uh, let, let me think about that. So let's just say we're talking about an estate plan. I am okay. not an attorney. I do not draw up trusts, but I've read so many of them, and I'm interested in what they mean and how they work. That when a client will will sit down and they're trying to make decisions about it, I can interpret what what the document is saying in a way that they can understand it. So that's not specifically related to the investment portion of it. But what a shame to build your investments over, up over a lifetime and then your heirs don't get it because the trust wasn't didn't say what you thought it said. And so, or beneficiary statements, they're, they're I'm not going to say always wrong, but seems like pretty close to being always wrong. People think they really? say one thing and they say something else and they disinherit their own children. It happens mm. pretty frequently. So that would be an example maybe of something, you know, kind of outside of just the investments where I really enjoy helping and um, adding that that value to someone's financial life. So you're you're thinking about kind of anything they spend money on? Yes, I have clients call me. I, I've had in the last month two clients call me from the car dealership. Can I afford this car? Should I lease it? Should I buy it? If I buy it, how much should I put down? They'll just they they get to my clients get to the point. I want them to get to this point where they know they can call me about anything. And if I don't know the answer, which is often. I know where to go find the answer, or I can just provide a sounding board um, and perhaps some wisdom. It's about having a team, right? Like, like, like right. Like, well, like, exactly. Yeah. Like you don't just have go out and seek out the people that are. You don't need to be an expert on. Right. Have, find the expert who spends every day all day long. And I guess that's back to your coach analogy: is yeah. working with the estate planning attorney and making sure that what is happening is what the client wants to have happen, or the. Uh, tax professional or wh- whomever it may be. I just had, I ask my uh, barber for financial advice all the time. I really think that's a great idea, you know, just to go to somebody who seems <laughs> well trained. <laughs> one, one more just, member of the team. <laughs> I just, I. Hey, Ernie. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm a big, I have a, my wife is a landscape architect and I have, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, tapping people who have the information. And yeah. that's all they do. That's what they are so, it's their yes. passion is to be yes. able to get at. You, um, so I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a young family. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, we, we have people who listen to the show are all strata, just starting, done really well or whatever. Some of them are on the other side of this microphone. Go ahead, keep going, Mark. This is useful information. <laughs> at, at what point does someone say, you know, I really, I need that quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I need that person on the team. It's time to add, now it's time to add that person to the team. What, yeah. What's your coaching on that? That's a great question. So advisors are often broken up into two segments. And the first is on the accumulation side, which is what you're describing. Mm-hmm. So some advisors help families build their wealth and make decisions about college planning and so forth. That's not really me. I'm on what we call the distribution side. So the other side of it is now people have, um, I'm going to just say all the money they're ever going to have. They've retired. They don't want to work anymore. They just want to live the rest of their lives and not have, have to worry about money. And then for me, 
that's the more complex side because mm. now we have to think about where to take money from, from an IRA, from a 401k, if we need it, you know, tax-wise. There's lots of planning that needs to go on in that, plus the estate planning component becomes more important. So oftentimes what happens is when pe- something happens, people retire or they divorce. There's a life event. There's some life event, and that that's usually where people will say, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've built my 401k up to a million dollars and I felt comfortable leaving it on autopilot, but now this is a lot of money and I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. I want somebody else to step in and help me manage that money to make sure it lasts me the rest of my life. So something like that will happen. And that's, so our typical client, I specialize more in, you know, 55 and over, let's say, right. where they're trying to make their money last and, and the order of withdrawals. And, and It and reminds such. me of a book I recently uh, acquired called Make Your Money Last a Lifetime. That's it's an, by Kevin Burke. Sounds interesting. Did you write that book? I wrote that book. What's, what are we finding in this book? What, are we, what, what compelled you to write this book? Well, I really wanted to reach a broader audience. Um, and you could have a, a you know, blockbuster movie or a killer website or a book to reach a broader audience. So I wrote this book thinking, okay, here's how I can help the most people. Uh, They don't have to be here. The books ended up in libraries literally all over the world. Really? Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I found that out online randomly. (laughs) So, but uh, I didn't do it on purpose. They ordered it, um, which is great. But uh, the, so the book walks through some of the basic steps, decisions people have to make, um, like, how to select a financial advisor. Should I help my kids? Here's a good example. Somebody oh. calls me and they say, my, my kids are buying a house. They want me to give them a couple hundred thousand dollars to help with down payment. Can I afford it? And is that a, is that a reasonable thing to do? Or is that a healthy exactly. thing for their, for their finances? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So that's actually the first chapter is about that. Huh. Um, there are chapters on you know, the actual process of investing. Um, um, so you know, how to avoid scams. So the, I just kind of cover. How do you avoid scams? Well, that's a never-ending, you know, Because there's always new ones. There's always new ones. Yeah. yeah. But that's what the book was designed to do, was to help people. That, with, this is their main concern. So they did a survey, and they found that six out of ten American adults between certain ages fear running out of money hmm. more than they fear death. Really? Well, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, if you're broken alive... That's an unfortunate and, – and, and unable to earn because you're at a point in your life where you're no longer an earner, right? I right. mean, I'm filling in a blank here, but – No, but it's hard for us as young, younger people – what you're in your 30s. 41. 41, okay. To, to, you have to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who's 67 and they're retired and this is it. They me. don't want to go back to I work. have to put myself in the mindset of to the 67-year-old version of me. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. To understand why this book would be valuable yeah. and what I was trying to convey. Yeah. I was. Um, I come from a, a long line of people who live into their mid nineties. Oh shit! Sorry, Mark. That's that's rough, buddy. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I'm thrilled. Work the knees. Strong keep the jeans. Going, yeah, that's why of, I eat good. And, yeah. you know, I'm 63, so that means there's – I've got – I'm looking 30 at 30 years to go. 30, 30 more birthday yeah. parties, yeah. Sure. right? Yeah. Right. And I don't know why it was – you know, it was that conversation with that financial planner <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, professor. And I was thinking, do I have 30 years in the bank? Mm-hmm. Half of what that's you've already question. been. Ha- exactly. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I, I start to think about – the things I can do and the things I, you know, cause I keep reinvesting all my money in new businesses mm-hmm. that I do, right? I, 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 rather than the nest egg. And so I start thinking of passive income projects that I can do mm-hmm. that will, you know, sure. have uh, an annuity income to them. So I, I'm thinking of the person who's listening to this right now is, is does your 
planning extend to, okay, here's the conversation. There's the person who wants, they, they've stopped being an earner. You look at the numbers and you know they don't have enough. Mm -hmm. well, how do you break the news? Well, so we look at how they could have enough. So oftentimes working one extra year makes a big difference. Mm. So maybe oh. that's the conversation. Or it may be that they need to trim their budget. And so we will help people go through their budgets. We do a lot of cash flow planning and so forth and say, you know, I noticed this, uh, you've got this, um, we'll pick a, a bookkeeper that, that's working for you. And is that really a necessary expense or can we find a simpler way for you to do that? Or maybe just expenses that maybe they don't actually need. They're so accustomed to spending it. That, that $10 a month Spotify account. Yeah, exactly. No, some people are spending, you know, thousands on things uh, per monthly that they, their needs have changed. But we get accustomed to, a, you know, certain right. whatever. And, and, and it's hard to make changes like that. Do you ever tell them they have got to go back to work? I mean, I've, that's, I've, that's got to be a tough conversation. You know what? I've never told anybody they have to go back to work because most people are already retired, and that's not really a, a – That's not on the it's table. It's not on the table. But I have told people that they need to trim their spending mm. or that they need to be more or less aggressive in their investments if they're going to reach their goals. Um, I've had that conversation many downsize times. downsize the house. Downsize the house. If they have any nest egg or any assets at all, you can start to try to leverage those, right, and push them towards towards – not just conservation, but, but increase in growth. Yeah. So there are different ways to do it. So, you know, a person might have uh, here in Santa Barbara, lots of people rent rooms in yeah. their house. So we might talk about the wisdom of that, mm -hmm. or they might ask me about that, or, you know, just whatever. There, there's such a broad range, it's hard to nail it down. Right. But, but we do have those conversations because last thing I want is to tell somebody, I'm, this is my goal, make your money last a lifetime. And then they don't, that doesn't happen. That'd be like that. I don't want that to happen to my clients, so right. we will address it. When you um, – okay, different question. I'll go a different path. So you're working with a client. How long do they work with you? I mean, is it the kind of thing you come in, you do this – you know, we kind of get the plan set up and then see you later? No. We – my goal is to be in lockstep with the people who become my clients forever. I, I just – and I have um, – worked with many clients really th through the end. Huh? Um, it's happened many times over the years. So, you know, so in answer to your question, we, my goal is to work with them forever so that they know they can rely on us to be there for them. Are you, are you part of the inheritance? Yeah. <laughs> and now, and, 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 and yeah. another thing you get is me. I come, I come with, I'm here, I'm here to help you. I'm going to start calling you dad. Yeah. That's never happened. No. I, no. I have friends that's happened too, though, where yeah. they've become part is of the inheritance. Is that an ethical thing? Uh, it's, it feels well, like I just maybe mean like being a... handed down as as the, as the person who's providing the financial uh, advice. Oh, I mean, as the job, oh. like the oh, job. Oh, so the son it. also gets you. Hires family you. also oh, is that, gets I'm you. Sorry, that's, I yeah, that's oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yes. what happens? Um, I don't mean to be too jaded about this, but what often happens is the children inherit money and they don't have the same level of sophistication or appreciation for it, mm. and they run through mm. it pretty quickly. I've seen oh. that happen more times than I can count. That's your next, that's your next book. It's, uh, yeah, how, it's, not, how not it's, to blow what mom and dad work so hard it's, for. Uh, you know, maybe it's similar to the lottery effect. Yeah. I, I, I don't uh. know, but that happens unfortunately. Can I posture often. something real quick? Uh, I usually take two minutes on every podcast. This is the one I've got. My mother uh, is an elementary school teacher and she went through a class talking about the levels of poverty and the understanding mm. that, that, that it doesn't matter how much 
uh, money you ever end up making. It's it's your value system that you were installed with that was baked in when you were a kid. Mm. So this is like why you see like like people who made it through the depression. Uh, once right. they had money, they did they they still were you know using day old bread mm-hmm. and buying you know the the, the cheap toilet yeah. paper. Um, and she was talking about that the, this class was 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 saying that there are different skill sets uh, that that are, are are inherited and and it's like so if you have a very wealthy person who loses their money. Um, they the, the last things to go are the the board memberships at the museum, uh, the fine art, the uh, you know the the, mm. the antique collectible, the heritage that they, they believe in. Whereas um, when a poor person ar- rises to, to to money, they spend money on things that they idealized when they were poor. So really good clothing and, and entertainment systems and cars and you know these things and they they don't join boards and so they don't right. know how to they spend their money in, in in just very different ways and I always I always feel so that's my soapbox moment for the day is that is that is that of course these kids don't know how to spend money they've never had any no exactly right it's always a little different but yeah yeah <laughs> are you welcomed into their world or are they just like, get away from me I've got my money just give me the check uh, who you mean. The, the children. The I'm, children. Because I'm, I'm thinking you, have you lost, have you ever, I mean, other than them, you know, transitioning, mm-hmm. uh, have you lost clients? Do they leave? We almost never lose clients. Hmm. Okay. Um, the times we have, it's because it just wasn't a good fit. So mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. onboarding process is that we take, you know, three to six face-to-face meetings and we really get to know them. I, wow. You know, our, our, our average client has been with us longer than most marriages last, right? So <laughs> wow. I sort of compare, compare it to wow. courtship yeah. where we need to get to know each other because somebody might come in and they they think my job is to trade the market rapidly and find the best stocks for them at the time and blah, blah, blah. And that's not what we do. So that's okay. It, there's nothing wrong with that style. It's just that that's, that's philosophically not going to work with, with our style. And so they're going to be disappointed when you don't. They're going to be disappointed. Yeah. So when we bring a client on that doesn't fit our philosophy, um, it becomes evident pretty quickly. Within one and of those three to six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's yes. So do you eat all quick. your meals out? Sounds like it. I do eat a lot of meals out. Yeah. <laughs> right. But we usually have clients in the office, and um, you know, it's a very intimate subject matter of finance. Well, that, let's talk about that a little bit because. Uh-huh. It hadn't really hit me. Again, I, I'm the time span between uh, Harry's conversation and this conversation is just a couple of weeks. So I think it's good that someone will have listened to that and then listened to yours. He impressed upon us the that intimacy, mm-hmm. security, privacy, and how important trust was uh, in that because you're trusting. I mean, here here's my gold, right? Here's all of my gold. I've got to trust you are going to treat that with the respect I spent my whole life earning that. Mm -hmm. So how do you create that feeling of trust? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're doing? Because I'm sure over those three to six meetings, they're scoping you out as much as you're scoping them out. Sure. How conscious are you of trust and what explicit things do you do? Because I'm sure that's a transferable skill into any business. So the person who's listening to us building trust is so important. Yeah. Well, you make me feel like I'm sort of missing out on something because I, <laughs> I, I don't think about that. I really just think about listening carefully mm-hmm. and trying to figure out whether I'm in a position to help this person. So maybe it's that um, sense they get from me that builds trust. Well, they're but paying I don't, attention. I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't have any um, – I haven't really thought about some, some mechanical ways to build trust other than just to be interested 
And, and well, no, that's a good one. Yeah. Right, because I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. Yeah. And I trust someone who's thinking about me. Yeah. Right. What do you do the, when the client doesn't listen to your advice? Mm. That's frustrating. Mm. And those relationships sometimes, you know, we, we will sometimes Dissolve. transition them to other advisors because if they don't, then that's just not going to work. Right. Yeah, because what they're doing, if it's different than what I think they should do, it means that I believe that that won't work. Mm. And so I can't, I can't really be part of it. I, I don't want to be participating in somebody where I see they're going down a, a, the wrong path. So you've had to fire clients? You said We've, transitioning to another, which is a very, very nice well way. Very, so nice very well played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it, you fire. I mean, yeah. th- that's a tough part in being a small business yes. where you, you know, you you can count the, you know, customers you or clients you have, you uh-huh. know, fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Losing one is is tough, and especially the overall health of the practices, you know. And to your point. I can't help them. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to listen or accept that help. Yeah. And, I, you know, I call it the cringe factor. Um, if they call oh. and I cringe, it's not going to work. <laughs> or if they're not kind to my staff, you know, I like my staff. Ooh, I want yeah. my staff to be Ooh. happy. It's a good warning sign. So culture, yeah, if somebody's not nice to – it's like the person who's not nice to the to the busboy at the restaurant. Like right. they're, that's, that's not somebody that will fit in our – culture and you know we live together every day eight hours a day right Right. so i want my staff to be happy so that's also part of an answer to your question about um if it's not working with the client we'll move them somewhere else because in this holistic approach it's not just uh a spreadsheet that you're evaluating you're looking at a lot of different things yeah and i have to say that we rarely have those issues because of our onboarding process being sort of lengthy it's not a we don't sell a product and now I get paid and, you know, we're out of here. It's a, it's a, for, I want to be with this person for decades. Yes. At what point, um, cause I, I've got to guess that you, in the early days, your practice didn't have three to six lunches. You're going like, when am I going to close this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, um, at, at how long did it take for you to see the wisdom of that practice? A long time. I've really just adopted this in the last, say, 10 years. Mm. And and prior to that, it was more of a product sale. When it was with bigger companies, it's more of a product sale and not as much of a relationship. And now it's way – it's 100% relationship. Is it fair to say you're a boutique firm? Yes. Mm. We we, we really focus on this this, um, niche of people who are, again, to uh, beat a dead horse, but make your money less. So divorcees. Maybe they've mm. never been. They were not the bread earner, or bread earner, right, or breadwinner. And so we um, want to make sure that they have enough money to last. And and if they don't, they need to go to work. We'll have that conversation. Or you can't afford to buy another three million dollar house like the one you lived in. Right. You your can your aff- value system needs to shift. It, need, it, it needs to. Or, yeah. or here here's we don't know for sure, but here's the year where you're going to run out of money and have to find a job. Mm. So. Do you do you want to be working at Ross Dress for Less at seventy two? Yeah, right. right. So I I saw a guy at CVS last night. I recognized the guy, and he used to have a business on State Street with his name on the business. And Mm -hmm. I recognized him, and I said, "I know you. I know you from somewhere. I don't know where it is. I know." And he goes. No, it, in Santa Barbara, and, and he told me the name of the business. I went, that's it. You're that guy because I remember seeing him on TV, mm-hmm. and here he is at CVS. Mm-hmm. So maybe he didn't have a financial planner when he was running the business helping him figure out how to do those things, you know, and to that point, you've got to go get the job at Ross, Dress for Less, and I, I see you see those people, and you're like, oh, 
back to work. It's kind of like the uh, the comedians that are on the road or the uh, aging rock stars that are playing <coughs> at a casino near you. It's because they've got, you know, alimony payments and child support and yes. door number three that they're still paying for, right? Well, but and, you know, luck comes into it too. Some of those, like the man you're describing, something might have happened out of yeah. his control. I mean, we can't, well, I, I can't discount. He might have yeah. done everything right and still, yeah, something something could have happened. So I, I feel for, for him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you do too. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what's the biggest mistake? So now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, uh, okay, Mark, we're convinced we're going to go find a, a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't live here. If they live here, they, you know, you, we'll have your website on the site, and they can give you a call. <laughs> um, what is the question that they should be asking of that? planner when they're in one of these three to six lunches that they typically don't. And because they don't, you bring it up. And so now we can kind of educate the listener now. What, what is mm-hmm. the, the biggest, question they don't ask? Yeah. I, was, I, had, a, I had a sales guy who said, you always got to figure out the question they're not going to ask. Yeah. That's the one. I would say that for me, the question that uh, they don't ask oftentimes is what happens to my account if something happens to you? Oh, and so occasionally people will ask that, and I'm glad they do. But I'm I, the the ones who don't ask. I wonder if they're thinking it. No, and they're they taking just, for granted, and they, or, or they just they're thinking. Well, we're not. They end up not working with me mm-hmm. because they don't understand the succession plan, and then they don't ask oh. what the succession plan is. So I don't get them as a client, but I never know why. Right. And here, so there's this hidden reason. So I'd rather they ask the question. And I have a very specific, distinct. In you know con- contractual succession plan in place where people are taken care of it, it's, it's, it'll be seamless and and work really well. So I love the opportunity to explain that. So that's probably a question to ask because what happens in the big firms is if somebody leaves, either maybe if they pass away, then you can't follow them. Maybe they go to another firm. What happens is they just stand in a big room and the manager just like playing cards, passes out. Redistributes. Redistributes. And Mm -hmm. so you might have been doing, you know, one type of investment, but you get an advisor who does a different type of investment and wants you to change from what you've been doing all this time to something else. Mm. So there's no, whereas my succession plan, it's with an advisor, we have the same philosophy and things would continue. We we see eye to eye, so it would be less disruptive to the client. So I actually, even though... um, it, even though it's not a big office with 45 brokers or advisors, it, it's it's seamless and it makes sense. Are you the backup plan for somebody else? No. Okay. So it's not something you had. You 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 haven't inherited an entire portfolio of people before and tried had to work through it. Um, I've when I was with bigger firms, when brokers would leave, I would get clients yeah. from that. But no, I I. Um, Maybe I didn't understand your question right, but I do have an advisor in my office who's in his 60s. I'm his succession. That's plan. what I meant. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm meant. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if if he retires or something happens to him, then we have a contract, and I take over his right. clients. Right. Yeah. Is this a normal thing inside offices that you have succession plan? Yeah. yeah. See, I didn't didn't know that at all. Yeah. I can't. Hence, why I asked that question. Yeah. But, I mean, my experience has always been like with my dentist. Like my dentist retired, and all of a sudden, I had just a oh, new no. younger version. It was not great. I have a great dentist. I got lucky in town. Oh, I have a great dentist. Yeah. Yep. What's who? Just uh, Jeff Rohde. R O H D E. I've yeah. referred lots of people to him, and they everybody loves him. Yeah. Okay. And you welcome Jeff. R O H. How's his gold work? Is he good with gold? Does he do? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I only let gold in my mouth. He did a cap, and I dreaded it for years, yeah. and it was nothing. I couldn't believe I had feared it because it was totally painless. I don't know mm-hmm. how he did that. It was great, great yeah. experience. 
A good dentist is hard to find. It's true. I, I think a good professional who's key to your success in one way or another is really hard to find. Mm -hmm. And it's still anecdotal. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have a really big network of people that you can tap into to find out who is that person, wh wherever it is, you, you know, we don't do anything by ourselves. We need other people to help us. I want to circle back to, to education. Um, have you, uh, or is it, I mean, you write, so that uh, gives me a sense you might be have a teacher gene in you and you were going to be a minister, hence even more of a teacher gene. Mm -hmm. Do you go and teach classes anywhere or help or guest lecture or things like that? Yes. Yeah, so I used to teach uh, the CFP course curriculum at UCSB Extension. Oh, really? Yeah. They oh. had it, um, oh. it. There are six modules and I taught the capstone, the sixth, the sixth module. Um, they just recently let that go because they just didn't have enough students. We had eight in the, the class last year, and it was being subsidized by other courses. Um, but I actually do a fair amount of public speaking as much as I can uh, because I, I enjoy it. It's fun. And I feel, again, like it's a way to reach a broader audience and, and uh, be, be helpful. So, yes, thank you for asking. It's interesting that we, towards the very end of the show, we get into storytelling, which yeah. was the, 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 how I actually, because I just, and I just wrote the show notes for, for Harry's talk, mm -hmm. and uh, it was about storytelling, how important it was, and we kind of got to the end, which kind of burying the lead, which is, Maybe we should start have two-hour shows and just pick it up at the beginning of the second hour. <laughs> you mean book uh, them for two hours, it, but only it, exactly. broadcast yeah, the last hour. We haven't recorded any of this. Now oh, we're going to start recording. Okay. That's uh, the important part. Let's do it. That's uh, a terrible nightmare you just set out. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, let's talk about storytelling for a second. Mm -hmm. That um, Do you – is storytelling a part of what you do? It is. Um, I don't give it – I don't – I'm not, um, how do I say this? I'm not planning on it. I just end up telling stories. So what if you so, were to plan on it? Yeah, I should. You're right. That'd I mean, be, you are a planner. It's in right. your title. I, I should definitely should make plan. that part of it. I think you should it. plan. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned you. Uh, at, at, during that episode, um, Bo Eason, who is my wife's mentor mm -hmm. and speaking mentor, um, I, I don't remember the original, the seed client that was a financial planner, but fully a very large percentage of his business where he goes and does his personal story power workshop mm -hmm. is all financial planners. I mean, he just, he, he's single-handedly making a huge impact in that market around storytelling and right. making, and you don't, for when I first heard that, I was like, hold it, how does storytelling fit with financial planning? Because those two things seem very disparate. How, how, how do they fit? Could they fit for you? Well, if if you pick up my book, for example, the very first page is a story about when I was a six-year-old on an airplane. Okay. And it leads into this discussion of should you help your children financially? So I, I, I do believe that storytelling helps people to relate to something that they've experienced. And they can say, oh, I remember what that was like. I mean, right. same thing with comedians. I mean, one of the, you know, geniuses of, of the Seinfeld show, right, was he would take things that we've all experienced yep. and then totally make fun of it. Yep. So there's that common thread and that common yep. bond that comes from a story, I think, that makes them so powerful. And as you say that, I, I do did deliberately do that in the book because I wanted people to pay attention to it. And I didn't want this to be a tome. I wanted it to be interesting where someone would actually read it 
and get through it, and it would be helpful. So I think storytelling helps us to, you know, to reach that, um, you know, broach that gap between finance, which is boring. <laughs> so if it's all about trust, because we talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. and we know that personal stories where you can be very vulnerable will help someone trust you because it's like, I just told you this story and it kind of feels like you told me for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you didn't, but you were very sincere in that. Do you, as as you're thinking about this, do you have, are you apprehensive about telling people deeply personal stories as a way to build trust? I'm trying, I'm becoming more comfortable with that every day um, because I, like all of us, I do have lots of stories that I feel very vulnerable about and feel like oh, people will think less of me or and so forth. So I'm, I'm working on that every day. In fact, I've been listening to Brene Brown, who, oh, yeah. right, the um, talk all, on... It's all about vulnerability. All about vulnerability. And so I've consciously been working on that. How's it going? Good. And much of it with, uh, because of you and, and your lovely wife, Kimberly, has been really helpful. Well, we do that, strategically speaking, workshop. Mm-hmm. And that is, we talk about that a lot, and which comes from Ted, right? I mean, is our experience with Ted, which right. is, you know, tell a story you've never told before, be vulnerable, and don't try to sell us something. And I've got to expect that with you, if you came off as a sales guy mm-hmm. in one of those three to six meetings, you get disqualified. Uh, the more vulnerable you are, mm-hmm. the more they're going to see themselves in you, mm-hmm. and you're just further along the path and can help them. And telling a story you've never told—that's really—that's kind of the heart. The hardest one for me is I want it to feel like that's a story I've never told, but I actually know the beats of that story right. because I know that it's important that that message and the teachable moment that's embedded within that story is something they're going to relate to. But I don't want them to feel as if um, I just pushed a button and now I'm playing story 42. Yeah, it's not canned. Right? Yeah. And that's that's the skill. That's the professional skill that you get. Yeah. And I'm working on that. Good. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad to hear that because that's... Uh, tell me a kind of group that you normally would go speak in front of. Well, the, I gave a talk two weeks ago in front of a group of um, seniors it was it's called S, SB Village, Santa Barbara Village, and yeah. it's a it's designed to allow people to stay in their home as long as possible without oh, having to move sure, out. Oh, sure, sure. And I was on the board there for several years, and I'm a supporter of of that organization. So I gave a talk to 25 or so of their members. How'd it go? Oh, it was great. People they just came up after shaking my hand and hugging me. These you know. Um, mostly female audience, but it was just in their 70, say 65 and above. And it was just lovely because they're, they're so appreciative. And I've dealt with that group for so long that I, I feel like I really understand what their needs are mm-hmm. and, and what their concerns are. And mm-hmm. so I try to address those in a way that it, they, they feel like they've been listened to and heard and that I get it. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, it's going back to what you said earlier. And I think the quote for the show, I think about listening carefully, hmm. right? I think that's a, and that's a transferable skill to, you know, anybody who's listening to the show mm-hmm. right now, how could, I call it active listening, mm-hmm. and how could you be a better listener to shut your mouth and just listen? And mm-hmm. you can't do improv without it. You can't do this show without listening, because I don't know what I'm gonna learn. I have no clue what we're gonna learn. Um, 
what group would you like to speak to next? Oh, wow, that's a great question. What group would I like to speak to next? Mm. You know, there's so many service organizations in, in Santa Barbara, like the Rotary and the Kiwanis and so forth, Lions and others. Um, but you saying that makes me realize I don't actually have a great plan. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to come wow. up with... I, I am on uh, – toward the end of January, I'm giving a talk. I'm going to have it professionally recorded because um, a company has already offered to put me on a little bit of a speaking circuit representing oh. them, mm-hmm. um, separate from my business. And But they said you have to have something recorded that we can look at. Um, to, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that at the university club um, in a couple of months. So I'm, I continue to work toward that. So now that you've asked that great question, Mark, I'm going to think about who it is that I really want to speak in front of. Yeah, that's. I think every business has to understand who that, you know, you understand yeah. who your target is, but mm-hmm. then it's also where would I go and yeah. who, where could I serve the best and it, all of that. How to make your speaking engagements last the rest of your lifetime. There you oh, go. there you go. That's the title of the book. <laughs> there's, there's, it's, we're in such a small town that there aren't as many large organizations. Yeah. You know, if I had my choice, if there were groups of di- uh, divorcees, mm-hmm. uh, I'd <laughs> love to talk to them. What a crazy group that would be. <laughs> well, they, but they, you know, they really need help. Yeah and, yeah. and they're lost and they're confused and there's a very difficult time in life. Yeah, and they sure. need somebody to rely sure. on who's not, has no ulterior motive financially mm-hmm. or otherwise. Or retirees, that's, again, that's probably my biggest focus. So if there were groups of retirees, I would love to get in front of them. And it, it's fun. We'd have a good time. I just think the Divorcees Club would throw the best parties. They just seem like Oh, my just gosh. Be, just, you know, finally getting what they want in life. You know, I think that would be I great. love that. Kevin, thanks for being on the show. I've enjoyed it. I, I appreciate it. And uh, and I know I'm going to uh, – I hopefully this doesn't break confidence. If it does, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> uh, you you wrote me a couple of weeks ago, and, and your daughter is going to school in Arizona. Uh-huh. And you said, Mark, thank you. Uh, I listened to the podcast for the entire drive from Arizona oh, right. to Santa Barbara, yep. which is eight – Eight hours? Eight hours, I did. And, and my wife doesn't listen to me for eight hours. <laughs> you know, what else is I walk for about an hour every day, mm. including uh. this morning. And uh, I just listened yesterday to Professor Starn. Yes. Is that how you said? Yeah. I uh, listened to that. I enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed it. I listened, So I've listened to dozens of, the, of your podcasts. Oh, I love that. We have yeah. dozens. We dozens. have at least dozens, yeah. several dozens. Um, so, so you know that at this part of the show is when you get to – put a title on the show. Okay. Because as you're looking through the back catalog and you well, what am I going to listen to uh-huh. next? Mm-hmm. Um, you was like, it, it's all in the title. And right. I think I can almost, I, I think I have enough shows now, Patrick, yeah. mm-hmm. to statistically prove the title and uh, counts. The, listen co- counts. the correlation. Yeah, yeah, they'll probably do that. So no pressure at all, but no. uh, w- what are we calling the show, Kevin? Well, I, I, I'm, of course your audience can't see me, but I'm, I'm pointing at the book. So that's more words than you're allowed. Oh, that's six. Okay. Make your money last a lifetime. So No, that's fine. Oh, A. Well, if you're counting A, that's six. But without the A, that's five. So do we Chill like off. that? Are we, are we good with that, Coach? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it lines up nicely with the branding of the rest of the <laughs> I think so. Make your money and, last and a lifetime. And then... Uh, and we know compliance is important, so we want to make sure that uh, our talk has been compliant, and mm-hmm. we've not. 
as much as I hate rules and as much as you love rules, I'm sure we <laughs> we came to a, an easy place right in the middle. Um, Speaking as legal counsel, I think that we've really we've stayed within the boundaries of appropriateness. Oh wow, there you go. I didn't really <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, no problem. Um, Thank you. Ben. So uh, th- you can be found at Burke B O U R K E Wealth Management dot com. Yeah, yeah, or just BurkeWealth.com. BurkeWealth.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Even if you don't have the wealth yet. <laughs> at least get the book and read about it there you and go. then learn. You've got a lot of resources on that. Thank you so much. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Polstering Press, for this great place to have these fascinating conversations. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, send us a note to partner at 805connect.com. Patrick, I know you were yes, taking Mark. notes during the show, yeah, and uh, our listener was was saying, oh, tell me more. How can I help? <laughs> well, uh, uh, you know, write us that review that is outlandish and ridiculous. Uh, write us that review that uh, we end up uh, telling our, our wives and mothers about. Uh, give us a review that is so uh, big and exotic and wonderful uh, that everybody else will be jealous of the review you have written for this show. Also, subscribe, rate, rate, review. Let us know uh, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Um, Mark loves getting your emails, so oh, send I do. some emails. And in fact, uh, I was at a, an event earlier this week at the art museum, and this woman comes up to me and says, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> and I was like, yay. You know, and she goes, no, I listen. Because I, she drives in her job. She drives a lot. So she's in the car. She loves the show. She, um, so a, a big shout out to Cinder, who I know is listening to the very, very end. Um, I'd love to hear from you if you have questions or an idea for a guest for an upcoming show. Drop me a line. Mark at 805connect.com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.